episode of ABC's Lost to see how that episode fits into the series as a whole. Today, I'll be looking at episode 616, entitled What They Died For. This is the 119th hour of the series, and there are two to go. Of course, a reminder that if you'd like to share feedback now or anytime in the future, there's a bunch of ways to do it. You can say hello to me on Twitter, where I'm looking back lost. You can send an email to lookingbackatlost at gmail.com. You can leave a comment on the webpage, lookingbackatlost.podbean.com. And lastly, but certainly not least, you can call the listener line 732-707-1815. And this week, particularly as I've been, oh, reflecting uh, more and more as, uh, you know, as I get closer and closer to the end of the podcast, um, I was I was blessed to get uh, three different types of feedback, a tweet, an email, and uh, a message on the listener line, certainly uh, apropos as things uh, head to the end here. So first, let's start with a tweet from Aoife, who asked about the Looking Back at Lost mobile app. And just a reminder to everybody that all you have to do is head to lookingbackatlost.podbean.com slash mobile, and uh, it'll this on your your iphone and it will prompt you to save to your home screen that's it and uh sorry uh android phone people uh they don't uh they don't offer that uh, particular service uh for android phones for free as part of my uh you know what i pay podbean so alas that uh our android friends are not uh not uh <laughs> susceptible to that if you will anyhow second I got a lovely email from Judy. I'd like to share it now. Judy says, Hi, Matt. I want to start out by saying I am so glad I discovered your podcast. I am an insomniac, and rewatching Lost and listening to your podcast has helped through many a long night. I recently moved in with my son and daughter in law, and she decided to rewatch the series after I told her about the podcast. We are on episode two. Judy goes on to say, I hope you will decide to pick another show and rewatch that one also, as I will miss our time together when this one is completed. I love watching the episodes now and have a completely different view on them. Can't wait to see what you have to say about the final episode. It still confuses me, so hopefully your insight will straighten me out. Thanks so much for making this podcast, Judy. Well, certainly, Judy, thank you, uh, Thank you so so much for that email. It's it was wonderful to hear. Uh, I was actually able to to go back and forth a bit more with Judy over email. So I'm glad that uh, both you and your uh, your daughter in law got a kick out of uh, out of emailing a bit. And um, 
it, of course, you know, it, it, it means so much to get these emails, to get these tweets uh, and, and so forth. Um, as for my plans after looking back at Lost, just a, a couple of a couple of opportunities now to remind you. I am, of course, still involved uh, with the PH Geek Pop Culture Podcast. That's on iTunes and also phgeekpodcast.blogspot.com, which kind of is a mishmash of a bunch of, uh, you know, whether it's us going to comic cons or reactions to the latest movie we've seen or that sort of thing. Folded into that, and then also separate, uh, separate, from it, if you will, uh, is the forthcoming Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast. Uh, well, we will, Pete and I, Pete, my podcasting partner, uh, will, uh, we will be watching the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. program on ABC this fall and podcasting that. Um, that you can search, uh, you know, if you search iTunes for PH Geek, you'll find that as well. You can also visit the web page for that, shieldpodcast.blogspot.com. However, Judy did mention a rewatch podcast more along the lines of looking back at lost. So I, I I think I've teased in the past that I may have an announcement to make on that. Indeed. Uh, I definitely can announce uh, such a, such a podcast, albeit one that will be happening in shorter quote unquote seasons and not 52 weeks a year. Um, I guess as a way of slowly backing into it, it's, this podcast has been such a joy. It's you know kind of entered the prep phase in January uh, 2011. It, I was you know officially kind of doing the weekly podcast starting in February 2011, and uh, certainly there have been weeks where I might do two in a week or 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 you know whatever it might be. But and I'll, I'm sure I'll talk more about this uh, you know, in, in the episodes coming after uh, the the podcast for the end part two, but. You know, I've I've met my goal thus far, <laughs> and hopefully I won't mess it up in the last two episodes. But I've met my goal thus far to just podcast concurrently to release fifty-two weeks a year nonstop. I'm ready for a little bit of a little bit of a break from that. So let me announce now, though, that uh, definitely in shorter seasons uh, I will be doing partially by myself, partially with with Pete that erstwhile podcast partner, uh, a podcast called Star Trek Essentials. Hopefully that's up your alley, dear listeners. And essentially it'll be looking at the essential episodes of Star Trek across the canon, including the movies. And um, it's basically going to be kind of a hybrid approach. Uh, There will be some episodes where it's basically just like looking back at Lost in that format. Me sharing my thoughts, sharing a couple of clips, etc. There'll be other episodes where Pete will join me and we'll do the same thing. There'll be other episodes further where we might do a commentary track over, over a, a vaunted episode. Um, again, just something to kind of uh, something to kind of mix things up a little bit, keep things fresh, and um, something to kind of you know happen uh, in between some of these other podcast uh you know adventures that i'm involved in this is a wonderful wonderful hobby this is a hobby that i got into from listening to lost podcasts and then other podcasts from there and um it's it's such great fun being master and commander of my own ship here and uh and certainly you know send me an email if you want tips on how to start your own podcast too uh but anyhow let me uh let me get off my uh get off my own uh, announcements of the future. Let me share the third bit of feedback. This is a call from friend of the podcast who uh, 
as I said, called up that listener line and left him a lovely message. Uh, this is from John Bowman. Hey, Matt. John Bowman here. I uh, wanted to give a call as you're wrapping up the last few episodes of Looking Back at Lost. Not really about any particular episode, but more of a, a general thank you. Um, over the last year or two, got into a couple of different Lost Rewatch uh, podcasts, and most of them have, have fizzled out before they finished up, whether that be in quality or just stop doing the podcast in general, even even as far into the into the rewatch at season six. But your podcast, Looking Back at Lost, has not only uh, kept going throughout the entire show, but has actually gotten better from start to finish. So, again, just from everybody that listens, I just wanted to say thank you for all of your hard work. It's awesome. Have a good one. Thank you so much, John, for, for calling in and sharing that. That really uh, that really does tug at the heartstrings. It, uh, I kept putting off watching this episode for for uh, for, for you know this week's podcast. I, I'll admit I uh, I'm recording it uh, for no particular good reason. I'm recording it oh about you know, three hours yeah or so before uh, it'll be going online. Um, not to mix my my genres here, but for you Doctor Who fans, you know the, the last line that David Tennant says. I just don't want to go. That that certainly is a feeling that I've had uh, more and more this week, and probably as I you know as I get a, a jump start on watching the, the finale, I'll watch it as as a whole and then podcast it as two episodes. Um, it's starting to sink in that this you know this journey is starting to come to an end. Uh, I, I know I've mentioned on the podcast previous that. You know, I, I I had this interest in doing a podcast. My first initial go around was uh, was uh, with uh, the the TV show Spartacus on Stars. Did that for about six episodes, and that kind of petered out. That was just a case of doing it each week, and then one week I didn't. And then uh, actually, you know, my my wife was helping me, and I'm not a particularly good executive producer. <laughs> And co-host along with my wife, uh, so uh, she was she was game enough, and then it just kind of one week we didn't, and it kind of you know fell off and, and didn't start it up again. But um, I appreciate John your your comment that uh, that I've gotten better. That was kind of part of the um, oh I don't know part of the idea of the project was hey this thing is so long 121 hours uh, you know why not learn how to you know take a big bite and learn how to learn how to do it as I go. So I've you know been through different mics and different recording software and recording techniques and ways to streamline it and ways to do this and that and the other. So I certainly won't gush on the technical end here, but um a couple of times now I've listened, John, to your call and uh each time it's kinda like, you know, it's 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 got me. So I certainly appreciate that so so much. And with that here we are, eleven whopping minutes into the podcast, and nary a comment on uh, six sixteen what they died for. So, let's get to the Wikipedia summary for it. In the two thousand four Flash Sideways timeline, Jack Shepard eats breakfast with his newly discovered half sister Claire and his son David, where they discuss David's upcoming concert that night. While eating, Jack receives a phone call from Oceanic Airlines stating to have found Jack's cargo that had been lost on Flight 815, Christian Shepard's coffin. Jack hangs up the phone. It is revealed to have been Desmond Hume who faked the phone call. Desmond is later found waiting in his car outside the high school where John Locke and Ben Linus work. 
Ben jumps in front of the car and threatens to call the police. Desmond exits the car and begins to beat Ben, telling him he wasn't trying to hurt Locke, but trying to help him let go. While Ben is being beaten, he has flashes of Desmond beating him in the original universe, as seen in Dead is Dead. Ben later meets Locke in the infirmary and conveys what was said between him and Desmond. After Locke hears this, he goes to see Jack in his office at the hospital. Locke tells him about being on the same flight, Locke then being in a car accident, and being brought to him of all doctors, and then about hearing Ben convey a message from Desmond that contained something Jack had said to Locke, getting him to let go, just as he had left the hospital from his injury. Locke states that he believes this is fate, and that it is his destiny for Jack to fix his wheelchair-bound disability. Meanwhile, Ben meets Alex in the parking lot, who offers to drive him home with her mother, Danielle Rousseau, because of his injured arm from Desmond's attack. She invites him to their home for a meal, and he accepts. Rousseau tells Ben that since Alex's father died, he has been the closest that she has had to a father. Meanwhile, Desmond goes to the police station where James Sawyer Ford and Miles Strom are employees, and Kate and Saeed are being held in detention. Desmond confesses to running over Locke and beating up Ben, and Sawyer puts him in the same cell as Saeed, neighboring Kate's cell. A van arrives to transport Desmond, Kate, and Saeed, and they enter together. The van, however, pulls over, and Ana Lucia Cortez opens the door and lets them out, demanding the money promised for setting them free. Desmond says it will be here soon, as Ana Lucia sets the three of them free, and a Hummer is seen pulling up. Hurley exits with the money, giving it to Ana Lucia. Desmond then instructs Saeed to ride with Hurley and tells Kate to ride with himself. Desmond hands Kate a dress and tells her that they're going to a concert. In the 2007 original timeline, following the events of The Candidate, Jack, Kate, Hurley, and Sawyer wash up on a shore, having survived the submarine explosion. Jack then informs the group that they must find Desmond, reasoning that since the man in black wanted Desmond dead, they would need him in the events to follow. On their way to the well, where Desmond was last seen, a younger Jacob confronts Hurley alone, demanding the ashes of his adult body. Hurley willingly gives them, but younger Jacob runs away with them without answering any of Hurley's questions. Hurley chases him through the jungle to a campfire, where he now finds the adult Jacob waiting for him. Jacob instructs him to bring the others, telling Hurley that once the campfire burns out, they will never be able to see Jacob again. Jack, Kate, Hurley, and Sawyer make it to the campfire, where Jacob, who they can all see, tells them that they were brought to the island to take his place as protector of the island, and they were chosen above others because they were like him. They, throughout their lives, had nothing to cling to and felt alone in the world, so he brought them here because they needed to fill that empty hole with the island. Jacob explains that the light, the heart of the island, needs to be protected from the man in black. He then tells them that one of them needs to choose to be the next guardian. Jack steps forward, stating that this is why he was brought here. Jacob's ghost then gives Jack a cup of water, and Jack takes a drink, accepting his responsibility. Jacob then tells Jack that he is now like him. Meanwhile, Ben, Miles, and Richard are headed to the destroyed barracks of the Dharma Initiative. Ben enters his secret room, where he has a stack of C-4 to destroy the Ajira Flight 316 airplane, in which the Man in Black was trying to leave the island. However, before they can leave, Widmore and Zoe are found in the house. Ben threatens to kill Widmore, who then claims that if he is killed, 
all hope is lost. Zoe later reports that the man in black has arrived, causing her and Widmore to hide in Ben's closet, while Ben and Richard attempt to talk to the man in black. Miles runs off into the woods, away from the events. Almost immediately after Richard goes out of the house, the man in black, in monster form, charges into Richard and sends him flying off screen. The man in black then reappears as Locke, telling Ben that he had more people to kill, wanting to know where Widmore was. Ben reveals Widmore's location, and when the man in black begins to interrogate Widmore and Zoe, he slits Zoe's throat when Widmore tells her not to say anything. The man in black then gets Widmore to tell him why he was here by offering to spare the life of his daughter once he leaves the island. Widmore initially refuses to speak until Ben leaves the room, but the man in black convinces him to whisper the information. While Widmore is whispering, Ben shoots Widmore, killing him and coldly stating that he doesn't get to save his daughter. The man in black claims that he had gotten the information he wanted regardless and leaves with Ben. The two arrive at the well where Desmond should have been, but it is empty and the rope is leading out. The man in black states that he was glad he had escaped due to the fact that he could find him easily and use Desmond's resistance to electromagnetism to destroy the island and he gathered the information from Widmore. With that, I'll get to my thoughts about this, this wonderful, important, explanatory, somber episode. It starts with a tense recap from last week, but with all those people who died and all that. Then Jack wakes up. The episode hasn't started properly. That eye shot almost screaming out even though this isn't the end of the finale, nor the finale itself, but it's just so... Uh, it, it, I couldn't help but think of the final shot of the series where, where, where Jack's eye closes. With that, Jack hops into the bathroom and sees a mysterious cut in his neck, something that first-time viewers, uh, I think, would connect as a to, to you know, uh, or, or allow to act as a reminder of, that appendectomy scar that he had at the start of the season. It's funny how these sticky clues remain in our heads. They're clearly clues, but not so huge that there's much to ponder on. Uh, obviously, repeat viewers will see the line between this world and the flash sideways, or pardon me, between the, the flash sideways world that we are in and the, uh, the, the real world of life starting to break down a bit as that... Uh, that that cut will be gotten in real life uh, in the finale. With that, Jack settles down to breakfast with Sonny Boy David, and the latter wants to make sure that Jack is coming to the concert tonight. Jack says yes, despite the floating of a rather ear-catching moment. Mom will be there. The show is here trying to hook first-time viewers into that mystery of Mom, mystery that will ultimately not go anywhere. With that, Auntie Claire comes to the breakfast table, talks about how Aaron is kicking all the time. I think that's just supposed to be a reminder that she's very, very, very pregnant. Uh, and with that, Jack gets a call from Oceanic about that <clears throat> missing cargo. Jack says, my father's coffin, in part because it's a moment for some quick recap, but there's no time to be critical as the camera shows us the other side of the conversation. Uh, it's not some oceanic worker. It is instead Desmond sitting in his car. He's the one who's making the call. Wonderful to see Desmond pulling at these, uh, 
pulling these puppet strings. Anyhow, the sideways over, we're on the beach with Jack, Kate, Sawyer, and Hurley, still quite weepy over the deaths of their three friends. I think that's understandable. Here, Giacchino's score is appropriately sparse. It stays out of the way of Evangeline Lilly's wonderful acting. She looks downright exhausted and too tired to cry very much more, despite the fact that Jack is sewing up her bullet wound, which, by the way, we're conveniently told, won't result in an infection once closed, so nothing to worry about there. Kate recounts the awfulness of the son and gin loss, hey, no, Saeed love, and says that Locke must be killed for this. Uh, with that, both Jack and Giacchino jump to life as the former says, I know, and the latter lets the music unfurl for an acting crescendo. It's an odd shape and an odd feel to that teaser act. There's a, you know, it, 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 it's a quiet sideways and a somber island moment, despite the attempt to zing it up at the end of the act. And at this point, too, such zings feel all too familiar. It's not the show's fault exactly, but as the title card passes by, things certainly do feel quiet. Perhaps that not, that's not something to be critical of, though. Perhaps it's by design, as after the title card, we see Sawyer merely looking out into the ocean as bits and pieces from the sub slowly wash in the music evoking some of the early episodes and their sense of helplessness. Here, the show is wise to breathe. It's got three hours left. And even though this isn't part of the finale, it's, you know, it, it's, it's letting the show get into position for the final bit. And as the credits start to wrap up, Jack gives some clear story orders, go to the well, and get Desmond. Who, speaking of which... We see then in Flash Sideways, once again hanging out at the school, watching Locke. As a side note, Desmond's hair looks quite odd in this scene, almost kind of mop-top-ish. I don't know if we're going to have some sort of, you know, Beatles moment here. I don't, I don't think they've changed that for the home video version. It's not, you know, Desmond suddenly singing Twist and Shout, I don't think, in the finale. Anyhow, joking aside, uh, as Desmond starts the car, who catches him but... In an almost Back to the Future 2-esque repeat, uh, you know, we, we have the hero of the sideways, Dr. Linus. He's wise and sagacious, um, but so too is Desmond, who quickly turns violent, punching and punching and punching Ben in the face, eliciting flashes of Ben's former life when Desmond did the same. Apparently some omelets are made by breaking eggs, and... As Desmond zips off, Ben looks astonished at the memory. With that, the story returns to uh, back to the island, and it's Ben, Miles, and Richard. Ben is leading, as he says he lived there for so long, and Miles, in a wonderful rat-a-tat-tat of lines, says he lived there 30 years ago, also known as last week. It's a dark reminder that the show has certainly traveled time and space to get this close to the end. As always, the dressing of the, the, uh, the barracks location with dead, overgrown grass and leaves everywhere speaks to the abandoned nature of these places. Miles starts to get his ghost talker moment going, but it is Richard 
who explains that they're walking over Alex's grave. Ben plainly thanks Richard for burying Alex, and I don't know how he does it, but Michael Emerson walks away from her grave looking defeated. And well, I mean, I guess I can understand how he looks defeated. You know, he's an actor, but he, what I don't understand is that he makes himself look physically smaller. It's just the slumped shoulders. And I don't know, you know, I don't think that Emerson is, a, is an especially tall man, but so, you know, so maybe there's a, you know, a, a camera angle involved, a lighting trick involved to kind of uh, highlight, you know, the stature that he has, but he just looks so beat up. So, you know, uh, so ground into the, into the, into the earth. With that, the story moves inside Ben's old house where they collect the C4 while Ben makes a passing explanatory comment uh, that his secretor room to summon, to summon the smoke monster was used before he realized that it was the smoke monster summoning him. Uh, with that, they take a huge amount of C4, and it's in a scene which almost echoes those heady days of season one, those adventures with dynamite and a backpack. Sorry, Artst. And because the act is growing near to its end, they hear something in the kitchen, revealing Zoe rooting for food, and with that, there's the face-to-face reunion of Ben and Widmore, which ends the act. After the act break... There's a lovely contrast between Widmore, who's calmly pouring himself a glass of water, and Ben, who's tensely holding a gun on his nemesis. It's a comment on how off-kilter Ben is. Usually Ben is the one who's calm under pressure. And it's a calm nature um, in Widmore that we see that just unfolds and unfolds as Widmore starts to explain himself. What are you doing here, Richard? We're getting explosives to destroy the plane on the other island. Why would you want to do that? None of your damned business. I've had that plane rigged with explosives since I got here. As usual, Benjamin, I'm three steps ahead of you. How did you get back here, Charles? Jacob invited me. That's a lie. You've never even seen Jacob. I most certainly have. He visited me not long after your people destroyed my freighter. He convinced me of the error of my ways and told me everything I need to know for this exact purpose. What purpose? Charles! Yes? It's Locke. He's coming. Have you seen you? No, I don't think so. Our boat is still there. I didn't have time to... Run. Get back here as fast as you can. If you don't want to die, we need to hide. Now, is that scene exposition broadly? Yes, it is. But it is in the service of the reveal that Widmore is a good guy after all, from a certain point of view. And given that we've spent the better part of the series slowly coming around to understanding Jacob as being in the right, who Jacob is, who these people are who are in his service, albeit imperfectly at times, then... The point of view is now that Widmore also isn't such a baddie anymore. Also of note in that scene is the continued flourish of Widmore in control and Ben grasping for answers, which continues as we flash sideways to Dr. Linus, stressing the doctor bit to the school nurse. And with that, Locke comes in, and what unfolds then is... It's three quick scenes just in astonishing succession. 
Dr. Linus? Are you all right? I heard there was a, an incident in the parking lot. I guess I got into a fight. Fight? With who? I saw the man that ran you down, Mr. Lau. He was back. I approached him and he just attacked me. And then the strangest thing happened. While he was beating me, I think, I think I saw something. What are you doing? I'm calling the police. You may not want to do that. Well, why wouldn't I want to? The man told me that he wasn't trying to hurt you. He told me that he was trying to get you to let go. LAPD. And for some reason, I believed him. Hello? LAPD. Do you have any idea what he was talking about, Mr. Love? Does that mean something to you? Hello? LAPD. Excuse me. Um, I'd like to see a detective, please. So the get up. Somebody die? The benefit of my dad's museum? The concert I've been telling you about all week? Ring a bell? With Locke and Ben, the show is truly picking up steam, heading towards the resolution of clarity, which will unfold in the finale. Note, too, that Ben says that despite the odds, he was inclined to believe Desmond. Another tick in the column, I would argue, for the notion of Desmond as Christ, the lowly son of a carpenter who he might not otherwise be inclined to listen to, is here slowly changing minds. Then there's that nice little scene of the LAPD dispatcher hanging up from Locke's call, only to meet that oh-so-believable Desmond, who seems to be everywhere, touching the lives of so many characters. And the three scenes conclude with Miles, Miles of all people, the character who has been sneakily commenting to the audience for so long, mentioning that there is a benefit concert tonight. Ring a bell, he says. He's talking to us. There's the mention of the concert, tonight no less, by David at the top of the episode. Plus, I think we're supposed to think back into the mists of our memory. Wasn't there a mention of Driveshaft being brought here for a concert as well? It's all coming together in this episode's slow, deliberate pace. And speaking of deliberate, in walks Desmond to confess to Sawyer that he was the attacker both times at the high school. With that, he's brought to a holding cell with a sullen and not dead, but still on the show, Saeed and a sullen and, you know, just undead Kate, the next cell over. I guess she is kind of dead in the sideways world. But you know what I mean? It's like, hey, there's casual Saeed still not written off the show because people are still alive in the flash sideways. That Saeed and Kate are lying down and Desmond is standing and smiling. This speaks again to his plan and reinforces the show's deliberate pace yet again. The story moves back to the island with Jack and Sawyer looking for the well. Sawyer passingly mentions the phrase, uh, if lock, which when he says it also sounds a bit like if flock. And I'm not sure if that's on purpose or not, you know, flock being the the cool internet way of saying fake lock. You kind of shorten it because you're cool and you're online and you're like, just flock. Um, it really just sounds, though, like he's saying, you know, if flock. We're kind of mumbling it together. Anyhow, 
Uh, Sawyer professes his guilt at having bet wrong about the bomb, and Jack humbly notes that he's been wrong before as well. It's a well-played scene with grief on both of their faces, particularly that of Sawyer, who is much less adept, the character is, at, at pushing a sad mistake aside than our dear doctor is. Now, you may be wondering why Jack and Sawyer are traveling together with Kate and Hurley traveling about 20 paces behind. Well, that's because Hurley needs an excuse to be peeled away from the group. Give me the ashes. What? Lori? Give me the ashes you took from Alana's things after she died. I know they're in your pocket. Why? Because they're mine. What do you want them for? Hey! With that, Hurley chases after the boy, coming across Jacob as a man. Hello, Hugo. Dude. I've been waiting for you to show up. Where you been? Doesn't matter. I'm here now. Did you see a kid run by here with your ashes? My ashes are right there in that fire. If it burns out, you'll never see me again. Uh, what? You should get your friends. We're very close to the end, Hugo. The show is at its best when it's able to tweak the audience a bit, but also keep things with complete entirety uh, within the universe of the show. And that's what that act ending is. When the show originally aired, this was the final weeknight of the show. The finale airing uh, aired on the following Sunday. And despite the episode's intentional, slow, somber tone, this is a reminder that we need to enjoy it all, nonetheless. After the break, there's another reminder of how very talented Terry O'Quinn is as his lock steps off the outrigger and onto the dock. It's a wordless scene where he's menacing by default as he eyes up the supplies of the Widmore outrigger. With that, the story returns back to Ben's house, where they're all panicked as Smokey approaches and Widmore and Zoe and ultimately Miles. Uh, I was going to say Miles heads for the hidden escape route, but Miles skedaddles on his own and Widmore and Zoe uh, <laughs> skedaddle differently to that hidden room. Richard and Ben remain behind, with Ben acting awfully fatalistic and Richard seemingly prepared to sacrifice himself. Now concerning Ben's fatalism, I mean, I don't think that we necessarily buy the notion that he puts forward that he's about to die, but it does occur to me that he's so used to staring his doom in the face and, and coming out on top that I think there's just a certain sense of, eh, maybe this time my number's up, you know, I've been living on borrowed time, or maybe this time I'll miraculously survive again. Um, that Richard is prepared to sacrifice himself, I think, is, is far less... Uh, I don't want to say overplayed, but it's a far less present thought. Um, it does initially seem a bit gimmicky until the smoke itself suddenly appears and blasts Richard away. The nice touch being that it hits Richard in the neck, seemingly choking him as it throws him out of the scene. Then, suddenly, Smokey Lock is there, 
prepared to offer Ben yet another deal with the devil. I need you to kill some people for me, Ben. And why would I do that? Because once I leave this island, you can have it all to yourself. All right. Good. Now, whose outrigger is that down at the dock? I believe it's Charles Redmore's. And do you know where I might find him? He's hiding in my closet. That Smokey is offering up all Ben ever wanted seems so pedantic. But in the moment, we absolutely believe Ben when he suggests he'll take it, don't we? Um, it is, of course, also just an absolutely fabulous way to ratchet up the tension. With that, we flash sideways to Dr. Linus, who runs into Alex. And it's worth noting that here Ben's eye is still black and blue, something that we've seen on island. Uh, and, you know, a reminder, as I'm sure many of you know, that's a result of a real-life injury. But cute trivia aside, uh, as Ben is talking to Alex, there's just such an ethereal quality to what happens next. Of course. After everything you've done for my daughter, a ride is the least we can do. I'm Danielle. Benjamin Linus. Hey, Mom, can Dr. Linus come over for dinner? It's Coco Rabbit. Oh, that's really not no, necessary. We insist, even if we have to kidnap you. <laughs> Here, please. Do you mind getting that plate? Dr. Linus, thank you. It's so nice to be able to cook for someone other than Alex. If you don't mind my asking, where is her father? He died when Alex was two. That's probably why she's so attached to you. Excuse me? All the interest you've taken in her. All the help you've given. You're the closest thing to a father she's ever had. I have rattling around in my head this bit of trivia, which I did not see on either Lostpedia or Wikipedia, that it was going to be here that Ben has his flashes of memory. Uh, I think the show is wise to withhold that, um, in part because as much as we love Ben, there is a, a wall between us and Ben. He is a baddie, of course, in so many ways. So they're, they're right to kind of deny him that, that pleasure that, that is reserved for you know, only the best of our heroes in the show. But almost more importantly, Danielle's return to the show is wonderful. A sweet, triumphant return for a key character who is killed off at the actor's request. Uh, even of, uh, of the greatest importance, though, is the placement of this scene. That we've left Ben's island story prepared to hate Ben again. To see him, uh, you know, wheeling and dealing with the monster and... From there we flashed to see him at his most sweet, his most sympathetic, his most paternal. Perhaps it's a bit of a reminder that deep down we know better. We know that Ben can do better. However, <laughs> that is not what's ahead for Ben on the island. Sideways over, Ben shuffles on into his home. Photos of Alex in the background. 
And Ben points Smokey Locke toward the secret room, going so far as to say that he wants to see what happens next. So do we. It's an edge-of-your-seat moment where we literally cannot imagine what will happen next. Sorry, Charles. What a pleasant surprise. How nice to be able to talk without those fences between us. And who might you be? Zoe. My name is Zoe. Don't talk to him. Don't say anything. Out of the blue, Zoe's neck is slit. Why would you do that? You told her not to talk to me. That made her pointless. Now, Charles, it's clear you're not afraid to die. So there's only one way to motivate you to tell me what I want to know. Soon this will all be over. I'll get what I want, and I'll finally leave this island. And when I do, the first thing I'm going to do is kill your daughter. Penny. You'll kill her whether I talk to you or not. No, I won't. I give you my word. And I'm supposed to take your word. You tell me why you came back here, and I won't hurt your daughter. I brought Desmond Hume back here because of his unique resistance to electromagnetism. He was a measure of last resort. What do you mean, last resort? I'm not saying any more in front of him. Well, then whisper to me. doesn't get to save his daughter. There's a, a shaky, handheld, close, focused look to the scene, suggesting an intimacy that I think belies the tension of the scene. We're kind of forced to be looking at these, at these, you know, trio of people who have made bad decisions, who I think we could call bad, despite the fact that uh, Widmore and ultimately Ben will be making the right choices. That tension in, in that scene almost sums up lost in a nutshell. Resolution, surprise, mystery for the future, reference to the past. Indeed, as Mighty Tim uh, on Twitter pointed out, the line, he doesn't get to save his daughter, is just so very iconic and so very encapsulating of, of, of Ben as a character. The scene though surprisingly not the act, concludes with Ben asking, did you say there were some other people to kill? Perhaps it doesn't end the act, because those very people who Smokey wants dead are about to have a very, very big moment, where they meet Jacob, and where there's one heck of a big payoff coming. So you're the one who wrote our names on the wall? I am. Sun and Jin Kwan and Saeed Jarrah, you wrote their names on the wall? Yes. Is that why they're dead? I'm very sorry. You're sorry. Okay. No, I want to know why. I want to know that Sun and Jin and Saeed didn't die for nothing. Come and sit down and I'll tell you what they died for. I'll tell you why I chose them. And why I chose you. 
and then I'll tell you everything you need to know about protecting this island, because by the time that fire burns out, one of you is going to have to start doing it. It's a monumental scene, one that leaves first time and repeat viewers scrambling to look at the clock. I think we kind of assumed this is where we'd end up with these candidates, you know, at the very end. But now, here, in this episode, not the finale, not as the end of the show, just as back in seasons one and two, we were sure sure that the final shot of the series would be the survivors landing back in LA. And the show gave us that very early. Uh, Here, the new assumed ending suddenly jumps ahead into the penultimate episode of the series, leaving the first-time viewers just gobsmacked at the idea of not knowing at all where we are headed. After the act break, sideways Dr. Jack is typing away in his office when Locke wheels on in, and after the opening pleasantries, Locke recounts that it's a small sideways world after all, wherein they're all on the same plane and life has kept pushing them together, down to Desmond's comment that Locke needs to let go, whereas Jack said the last time he met Locke. Uh, With that, Locke kind of admits that he has a sense of possible destiny, and though Jack recounts that mistaking coincidence uh, for fate is not a good thing, and of course these are both uh, kind of echoing uh, positions that that, that, uh, have been stated previously in the show, Locke says that he's ready to get out of that chair. Now, that little touching interlude aside, and I'm sure that that's what it's meant to be, it's placed there because we've just come off this, you know, this act break of, Oh my goodness, one of you will be the new Jacob, dun-dun-dun. And it goes to commercial, it comes back, and we're not resolving that right away. It's kind of, it's not an ineffective scene. It certainly is commenting on, you know, as I said earlier, kind of the walls of the sideways world are starting to to break through a bit, to break down. Um, and, and they're becoming kind of aware of aware of that. So it's a useful scene that's being used to kind of block us uh, for for what's next and indeed we head back to jacob who is now prepared to explain just about everything i brought all of you here because i made a mistake a mistake i made a very long time ago and now because of that there's a very good chance that every single one of you and everyone you've ever cared about is going to die what mistake you call him the monster responsible for what happened to him I made him that way and ever since then he's been trying to kill me it was only a matter of time before he figured out how and when he did someone would have to replace me and that's why I brought you all here tell me something Jacob why do I got to be punished for your mistake what made you think you could mess with my life? I was doing just fine to drag my ass to this damn rock. No, you weren't. None of you were. I didn't pluck any of you out of a happy existence. You were all flawed. I chose you because you were like me. You were all alone. You were all looking for something that you couldn't find out there. 
I chose you because you needed this place as much as it needed you. Why did you cross my name off of your wall? Because you became a mother. But it's just a line of chalk in a cave. The job is yours if you want it, Kate. What is the job? There's a light at the center of the island. You have to make sure it never goes out. That's how you protect it. Your monster friend said there was nothing to protect it from. You have to protect it from him. You must do what I couldn't, what I wasn't able to do. You want us to kill him? Is that even possible? I hope so, because he is certainly going to try to kill you. So, how are you going to pick? I'm not going to pick, Hugo. I want you to have the one thing that I was never given. A choice. And if none of us chooses it? Then this ends very badly. I'll do it. This is why I'm here. This is... This is what I'm supposed to do. Is that a question, Jack? No. Good. And it's time. A long clip, to be sure, and I hope you don't mind. Um... Also, too, there's kind of these pauses and dialogue, but, but I just couldn't find a spot where, where you know, where Giacchino's music could be cut. Um, it's just, it's like the episode this clip is. It's, it's slow, it's somber, it's, it's requiring room to breathe, requiring room to think. So let's think about it now. I wondered if the line to Kate that her candidacy being removed was just a line uh, in chalk on the wall. I wondered if perhaps that was a slight reminder about religious faith versus dogma. It's not something the show is ever going to explore too deeply, but just kind of that notion of it's just a line on a wall. It's not, you know, it's not actually that important a thing. But what is important is that Jacob picks no one what is important is that they can decide. I remember, as I'm sure all of us did, I was distinctly rooting for Hurley. And it's the one rough edge to the scene as Jack steps up so very quickly. No, we say. It seemed like it was going to be Hurley. It was going to be Hurley's moment. And indeed, it's been a series-long argument that I've made on the podcast that Hurley cares for the group's mind, body, and soul in a way that Jack never did. Season one, Jack was reacting to situations. Someone has taken Claire. Let's go get her right now. We don't have enough water. Let's put out tarps. There's not kind of that thoughtfulness to it. And note there that, you know, Jack says, you know, I'll do it. It's what I was meant to do. He's not being driven internally. Perhaps he's being driven uh, 
he feels he's being driven by external factors. It is his duty and his destiny and this sort of thing. Though, of course, it will be ultimately Hurley for quite a long time. It is Jack now. And as the very short act ends, uh, I want to share that both Dan Mulderlock and Bo Ford on Twitter argued that last week's episode, Across the Sea, should have aired earlier in the season. Uh, indeed, Bo Ford said it should have been the season six opener. I personally disagree. And it's the preceding scene and the one that will come next that help hammer home why I disagree. Jacob can blithely mention having caused Smokey to be this way, and we absolutely know why. Jacob can perform the drinking ritual to make Jack the protector, and we are crystal clear as to why. Would most of us have remembered it from the top of the season if that, you know, if across the sea opened things up? Sure, but it wasn't necessary knowledge then. Now, in this scene, in this episode, it is, and we have that information ready for us. With that, after the act break, Jack and Jacob go off to the water, with Sawyer mentioning the appropriately amusing comment that he thought Jack had a god complex before, and Hurley mentioning with relief that it's glad it's not him, meaning Hurley. An intentional and telling comment. I think it's the show echoing our displeasure that we, you know, we wanted the everyman Hurley to get this job, just as we wouldn't want it, but we would be ready for it too, we think. Anyhow, Jacob describes where the light of the island is, behind that bamboo field where Jack woke up in pilot part one, a place, the light, uh, that he can never find until now. Uh, the familiar water drinking ceremonies repeated, again, so familiar because we saw it only last week. With that, Jack is told that he must do the job as long as he can. A wonderfully open-ended statement. The ceremony concludes with Jack being told by Jacob, now you're like me. The camera focuses at this point on Sawyer, and then we flash sideways to Detective Ford, announcing that Jarrah, Hume, and Austin are now being sent off to county jail. No way around that, is it? The story then shifts to the police truck carrying them. I think it's time to leave. What? I said I think it's time to leave. Are you ready to get out of here? I'm sorry, who are you? He's a crazy person who turned himself in. What'd you turn yourself in for? I ran over a guy in a wheelchair. You see what I mean? All right. I'm crazy. But you want to get out of here or not? So what, are you just going to tell the driver to stop? The driver already knows where to stop. But when that happens, you're going to have to give me a trust. Oh, a trust. That's right. Because after I set you free, I'm going to ask each of you to do something. And you're going to have to promise me that you'll do it. So what do you say? No, absolutely, I promise. How about you? Okay, sure. All right, then. There is such a mysticism to Desmond's speech. Saeed and Kate don't buy it, of course, but we do. We tremendously do. And it only gets better. Who's you? That's me. Where's your friend with my money? Otherwise, I'm going to have to say I shot all of you trying to escape. Don't worry. He'll be here.
Sorry, here he comes. Sorry I'm late, dude. Don't worry about it. Oh, hey, you didn't tell me unless he was going to be here. Do I know you, Tubby? Oh, no. We never met. Anyways, here's your money. 125 grand, right? Yeah, that's right. Nice not knowing you. She's not coming with us? No, she's not ready yet. I brought you my Camaro. The keys are under the floor mat. Everything else you need is in the trunk. All right, good. Um, you know where you're taking him, yeah? Absolutely. All right, well, we should get going, okay? You're with him, and you're with me. What do you mean, I'm with you? We are going to a concert. Chikino, you are a delightful son of a gun that you would end that clip where there's mention of, you know, let's go to the concert with the extra oomph of strings at the end there, the kind of just, you know, sound orchestral sound, you know, sound, uh, you know, off to a night at the symphony kind of thing. It's an overwhelming end or an almost overwhelming end to an almost overwhelming scene, one that points to the finale perfectly there's such a pace to the sideways now with the offhanded comments to Anna Lucia or at least about Anna Lucia not being ready the implication is that the others are the unseen plan of Saeed with Hurley uh, and Kate and Desmond together off to that concert now mentioned the concert is for a very compelling third time I mean, my goodness you know how much how much more Christian do you want out of Desmond that, you know, that, you know, there were, there've now been the three mentions of, of the concert, albeit not by Desmond, but Desmond comes into the third mention. Perhaps, uh, as we should switch back almost to, to, to the, the, the less exciting Island story. Um, that is where we will conclude though, with Ben and Smokey and with one more question or perhaps two to be answered. If you can turn yourself into smoke whenever you want, why do you bother walking? I like the feel of my feet on the ground. It reminds me that I was human. We're here. Are you thirsty? threw Desmond Hume into. What's the matter? I sent Saeed to kill Desmond. Obviously, he didn't. Looks like someone helped him out. No, Ben, someone helped me out. What did Whitmore say to you? He said Desmond was a failsafe. Jacob's last resort, in case, God forbid, I managed to kill all of his beloved candidates. One final way to make sure that I never leave this place. Then why are you happy that he's still alive? Because I'm going to find Desmond. And when I do, he's going to help me do the one thing that I could never do myself. I'm going to destroy the island.
on the one hand, it's a classic lost ending, one in which we don't have all the answers. How is Desmond the failsafe? And there's the one last threat given to us. This is, of course, the one last zinger. It's a big one, of course, that Smokey wants to destroy the island. I would argue that it's not the best of endings, but on the flip side, do we need it to be perfect at this point? Uh, I mean, of course, you want it to be the best it can be, but you know what can make you more compelled to, to start the finale um, than these 120 episodes or pardon me these 119 episodes thus far um i think you know what possibly could the last zinger be that could live up to those 119 episodes so i don't quibble uh, with it much if anything it just spurs me on all the all the more to uh to get to that finale but first let's take a look at lostpedia which notes that this is the first time Charles Widmore has visited the main island since he was exiled from it around 15 years ago. Also, this is the only episode in the series that begins with what, in its variations, that is not Kate-centric. Whatever the case may be, what Kate did, whatever happened, happened, and what Kate does all had Kate-centric flashbacks or flash sideways. Also, it is noted that for the first time, Jacob meets the survivors and remaining candidates of Oceanic Flight 815 on the island. Out of the main characters, he has only met Ben, Richard, and Hurley on the island before. Also from Lostpedia, Jacob performs the ritual with Jack that he did with Mother across the sea, part of which, of course, is in Latin, which translated is, because we don't accept this as a simple potion, but so that he shall be as one with me. Lastly, in conclusion, a rather little chilling bit of trivia here, at the end of Season 2, Michael is tasked with bringing four Flight 815 survivors to the others, Jack, Kate, Sawyer, and Hurley. These four survivors would eventually become the final four candidates to replace Jacob as the guardian of the island, as shown in this episode. I think that perhaps speaks a little bit less to the nature of the characters and more the nature of the the actors and their characters as kind of the stars of the show. It's kind of more of a you know a function of the television show and a little bit less of the function of the internal uh, you know what we imagine to be the writerless series of events that unfurl in in, in the show in any drama or kind of you know willful suspension of disbelief that it's real, but uh, a neat bit of trivia nonetheless. With that, friends, let's look ahead to the upcoming weeks. Next week will be the first half of 6.17, The End. After that, 6.18, the conclusion of The End. After that, an episode about the music of Lost, kind of looking back at the, the series as a whole, as I'm so uh, you know, often saying. Then there will be uh, the, uh, the look at the new man in charge, that uh, DVD-only epilogue to the series, and uh, with the final bit of Looking Back at Lost being uh, the uh, the exit interview that my podcasting pal Pete will conduct with me to, to give my final epilogue to this uh, wonderful, beguiling, at times frustrating, most of the times very rewarding project that has been Looking Back at Lost. I will mention, by the way, if you haven't, uh, you know, clicked clicked the podcast off at this point all the all the best bits haven't been discussed that uh please do not unsubscribe 
from looking back at Lost. Because if there is ever news in the future, whatever it might be, and uh, particularly if you don't follow me on Twitter, um, whatever news that might be, uh, you know, the, the podcast feed can be uh, you know, reignited again to discuss uh, some of these particulars. Particularly if, I mean, I'll be candid here, dear listeners, I, I, would, I would like to turn Looking Back at Lost into a book. Um, I hesitate turning it into an ebook just because I think uh, we would expect pictures, and I do not have, of course, the rights to the pictures. I don't certainly want you know it to be me versus ABC and some sort of you know fair use thing. Their lawyers are bigger than mine, and that I have none. Um, so to kind of, I w- I'm interested in exploring kind of the the real world of publishing, I, which of which I know nothing about. I think that I could write the book. Is there a market for it? Hopefully, you say yes. Uh, do the people in the interim? think so i don't know that's a project for for this summer to to explore um so if ever there was news hey it's underway or or whatever it might be i would certainly mention it on the podcast kind of you know rev the podcast feed up again but that of course is uh something to discuss after the end We'll, we'll see about that perhaps that's lofty dreaming but friends there was the time back in december 2010 where i said you know what what shall I do a podcast about? And then, you know, Lost was suddenly on Netflix. And I said, of course, it's, it's been Lost all along. The show that I've lived with from, from September 2004 to May 2010. And then had a little you know, time away from the show. And then all of a sudden I'm re-watching it from the beginning on, you know, in HD, on widescreen, nice TV and all that. And I'm saying, of course, it's always been Lost. I can't not live without this show. It's been... It's been a show that it's strange. I have not been away from Lost for more than six months um, since since the show started. Maybe a bit more than six months if you think about when maybe some of the finales were, what May to February, things like that. But you know, never more than roughly six months, roughly half a year, thinking about the show. Um, Why stop now? Just because the show's it's the central conceit of this podcast just because the show is over we can we can always look back with that note friends i will uh wrap things up thank you as always for listening let me repeat again if you're still here you are still with me at the one hour six minute and almost 30 second mark boom this uh you know the the ways to communicate with me will remain open ad infinitum after the, the conclusion of the podcast uh, the, you know, the email, the listener line for as long as Google Voice keeps giving that away for free uh, Twitter and so forth um, part of the reason why I want to continue, to, or, or I feel compelled to continue the podcast after the conclusion of this show is um, the simple economics of it, for it to remain online, I have to keep paying the bill to keep it online so if I'm going to be continuing to get bandwidth and storage space that that grows, you know, that that still is fresh and new each month, um, I want to continue to use that. But I also want to keep this podcast up. How about forever? How about till till it's my time in the bamboo grove? Anyhow, with that, friends, thank you as always for listening. I will talk to you all again next week for the end part one. Take care, one and all. My dear, dear listeners, it's, uh, it really is uh, so wonderful that, that we've been together 
these 119 episodes. We, we still have a couple of podcast episodes left, don't we? Take care of one and all, and bye-bye. Thank you.